Amen. Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning. It's good to good to see you at this uh, eleven o'clock hour. Uh, I am one of your state missionaries with the George Baptist Mission Board, and uh, on behalf of Dr. J. Robert White, our executive director, I want to thank you for your partnership with Georgia Baptists across this state. Uh, 3,900 churches, uh, 89 associations. Uh, we travel, most of your missionaries travel somewhere in the average of 30,000, uh, 35,000 miles a year. And so we would covet your prayers as we're out there on the uh, highway. My dad used to tell me any, when I was a teenager, anytime I'd left the house uh, to go somewhere in the car, he'd say, watch out for that other fool. And uh, so I try, to, I try to watch out while I'm... Uh, while I'm out there, but uh, we would we would covet your prayers. Also, thank you for uh, your generosity in giving uh, a chip, a sabbatical. Uh, one of my jobs is working with pastors and encouraging churches, and that's one of the things that uh, I'm seeing more and more churches do, and I pray that chip will come back uh, renewed, refreshed, uh, and uh, that you will be better for it, and you'll have a, a, a refreshed pastor and family uh, when they uh, come back. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of uh, of how to fireproof your marriage. And uh, in doing so, I want to put a definition on the screen. Uh, this is a definition I sort of came up with. I'm not saying it's a perfect definition. But uh, uh, it's one I use until I come up with a better one. But uh, marriage is the union of two sinners. Let's establish that. Uh, we're all sinners. Uh, we all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, and those two sinners are made up of a man and a woman in marriage. You just not have to put that in here, but I do now. Joined together in a journey that God ordained and only, only He can fulfill. Biblical marriage is based on a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And biblical marriage, when done God's way, is good. It's a good thing. Man, man is not smart enough in himself to come up with something as good as marriage done God's way. Because you see, marriage is made up of two imperfect people. Uh, people that come from two different families and they have two different traditions and they were raised in two different ways, and uh, you know they, they they've got different ideas. And even and, and even when they are standing there and they're about to say "I do," they have no idea what they're saying "I do" about. I mean, uh, I, I I have as a pastor, I've had couples in premarital counseling, and you know, and and she's sitting there and. And she is already in wedded bliss. She's read everything Emily Post has written. She's got all the marriage magazines and all that kind of stuff. And she's been she's been waiting on this day, you know, even back to the time she was dressing Barbie and Ken and having that marriage right in front of her. You know, here's Bubba sitting over here. You know, he's all cool, got his leg crossed, got his arm around her. You know, all he cares about is the honeymoon. Am I right? I mean, Really? And I'm trying to communicate with these two idiots, you know. No, just kidding. And and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, 
God, you're going to have to do something because they don't get it. They have no idea what's fixing to happen, what's fixing to come down, when what, they, what we proverbially call the honeymoon is over. If and even when we do it God's way, because they're two imperfect people, they're going to be bumps in the road of, uh, of married life. And so no marriage, no matter how good it is, should exist without some kind of fireproof plan. You know, we have a plan for everything, you know. We, uh, we make plans when we go on vacation. Now, that may be a, as simple of a plan is we throw luggage in the car and we're going to put it on the road and we're just going to go and we have no agenda. There's nothing wrong with that if that's the way you want to do it. You may be wired that way. Or, you know, if you're that type A personality, you know where you're going to stop for gas in 300 miles. You know where you're going to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner on that day. I mean, you've got a notebook with the itinerary already planned out. There's nothing wrong with that if you're wired that way. But, you know, we always need some type of plan. Uh, in our married life, no matter when, when our girls came along and where we live, we always had some type of plan of uh, in case of a fire. You know, what do you do? Uh, we never used that fire plan. Uh, we had a tornado plan, and it worked, the fire plan worked good in the tornado plan. You know, but we got a plan on how we do Certain things. If you teach, you have a plan of what's going. So, in marriage, we need a fireproof plan. And and and, and this morning, I want to sort of uh, give you uh, that because uh, bad marriages can be saved. I'll tell you something. If you're in a marriage, and you're having problems right now. I want you to know God is for you. He is for you. He wants it to work, and He will help you work it. You know. Bad marriages can be saved. Good marriages can be better. But I'll tell you something about Christian marriage. Christian marriage should always have a goal and a plan of godliness. Of living and walking godly in this present world. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the uh, book of Hebrews, chapter 13. We're just going to have one verse in our text today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and uh, verse 4. So uh, either on your uh, uh, River Hills app or in your uh, leather bound or bonded leather bound or in your hardback or uh, your paperback Bible, whatever it is, Hebrews 13 verse 4. And I want to read it from the New American Standard. And then we're also going to look at it from the Amplified Version. And the New American Standard is uh, on the screen. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Now, that word all leaves nobody out. Everybody. I mean, God, God says marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed undefiled. For fornicators, that's relationships with a person of, the, of an, another sex, uh, before you get married, and adulterers, that's a, a relationship with someone of the opposite sex outside of marriage other than your spouse, God will judge. I mean, God is, uh, God's good, He's kind, He's gracious, but, but God has standards. He has holy standards, and His standard for marriage is godliness. Now, 
I want you to look at the amplified uh, version of this. It says, let marriage be held in honor. Listen, esteemed worthy, precious, of great price, and especially dear in all things. And so even in, a, in, a, uh, in good times, marriage is to be esteemed worthy, precious. It's to be of great price and especially dear. In bad times, the same thing. In tough times, and even in certain times, esteemed worthy, precious, of great price, especially dear. We, we live in a culture today that is not for marriage. Our culture is against marriage. The enemy, the devil, Satan himself, he does not want your marriage. He does not want my marriage to work. He is against marriage. The world is against marriage. I'll tell you, there's sometimes your own flesh is against marriage. And, and, and of those three things, you know, you know, Peter says the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I think a lot of times we give the devil too much credit. I mean, he, he's responsible for a lot of stuff, causing a lot of wrecks in lives. But so is the world. But I'll tell you something, I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> I have more problem with my flesh, my old sinful, ugly, rotten, impure, stinking flesh than anything else. And, and there's, there's that constant battle that's going on. Divorce is contagious in our culture. You realize that marriage marriages are failing inside the church at the same rate, if not more, than they are outside the church? But God's looking for couples who will strive for biblical marriages that have godliness as their goal. I'm going to tell you something. Satan doesn't care how long it takes. I'm amazed at the people I'm hearing that, are, that have been married 40 and plus years that one or the other is walking away. I got a prayer request the other day from a, I don't really know the guy that way. I, I, don't, even, I don't even know if I know him. I, you know how Facebook is. You know there are people that you know, we call friends we've never seen before in our life. You know, don't, you know, really don't know where they live, but we're there together. And I, I got this request. And he said, uh, you know, we've been married this way. We got this. And, and, and she walked out on me. I know there's another side of that story. But, I mean, uh, it's happening. It's happening weekly. It's happening daily. I tell you, my parents' marriage uh, ended the right way. Mama died. She died in 2002. And, and, and you know, that's what it means, till death do us part. Now, there'll be times I'll be with Dad. He's in a retirement home. And, and, and Dad will still say uh, some 16 years later, man, I still miss her. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. My wife and I were doing a, a Valentine banquet a number of years ago. I, the movie was... I mean, you can still find it in Walmart uh, back in those days. It was so long ago. And uh, uh, this Valentine's Day was taking place, and the pastor got up and, you know, did something that we pastors do sometimes before we think. And uh, uh, he was recognizing the youngest couple there, the, the couple that had been married the least amount of time. He finally got to wh who everybody knew this, who this was going to be, the couple that had been married the longest. And I, I can't remember her name. I'm going to call them. Jesse and Ruth, just, just for the sake of it. And Jesse's there in a wheelchair, and Ruth's sitting next to her. You can tell they're on up in age. And the pastor, after they recognize, says, Now, 
Miss Ruth, what do you what do you contribute the longevity of your marriage? And if I'm lying, I'm dying. She said, He won't die. Everybody in the room did that, my wife. Now, we didn't know we didn't know what thing. We just sort of looked at one. No, we didn't know him, you know, but evidently she was a kidder. But listen, that's how marriages are supposed to end. One of you die. Till death do his part. Hey, that's a part of the fireproof plan. That's a part of fireproofing uh, your marriage. Listen to what John Piper says. The most foundational thing you can say about marriage is that it is the doing of God. And the ultimate thing that you can say about marriage is that it is the display of God. God on display in our homes. God on display in our lives as we live for Him. Rick Warren says the primary purpose of marriage is to make you holy. Not merely happy. Nothing challenges our self-centeredness more. I'll tell you something. If you want to know how much self-centeredness you've got and you're not married, just, just get married. On a daily basis, it'll challenge your self. I mean, I might be alone in this, but my self-centeredness gets challenged every day of, of, uh, of our married life. So, how does one fireproof their marriage? Ken Bevel, who played the part of Michael Simmons uh, in, in, the, in the movie, made this statement uh, as a part of, in, 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 in his, his narrative, is his character. He says, fireproof doesn't mean that a fire will never come, but when it does, you will be able to withstand it. Because fire's going to come. One way or the other. So I'm going to give you three things. And they're, they're, in, a, they're in a certain order. Uh, I, this is not exhaustive. Uh, but, you know, we only have so much time together today. So here's the first one. So if you've got pen, paper, lipstick, mascara, something to write on, you may want to jot this down. It's going to be on the screen. Here's the first one. Have the right master. Have the right master. The Bible says no man can serve two masters. And in our world, there's, there's this constant uh, competition for something or someone to master. I had the privilege of being a high school uh, football chaplain for a number of years. And uh, with a, part of those years was with uh, a godly Christian a coach. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and he was one of those guys, he sort of, at his request sometimes, he sort of wanted me right close to him, even more so than his defensive coordinator is. I found out later he just wanted me, he, he, he felt like he would talk better if the preacher was close by. You know, I, I, you know, I used to kid him about that. But I never forget one time, we had a state championship game, and he calls the quarterback over. And uh, crucial play, it's third down, you know, uh, you know, I think seven or eight yards to go, and he calls the quarterback. He grabs him by the face, but he looks right in his eye. Hey, now listen to me. Here's what I want you to do. And then he said, and he called out the left, uh, right tackle's name. He said, I want you to tell that light, left tackle, a right tackle, I want, to, I want him to chip the end, and then I want him to put that linebacker on a part of his body. And he said, then he said this, and y'all do it right, it's going to go for a touchdown. 
and he hit the quarterback on the rump. He went back in. That quarterback went in there and got in that huddle. And then the coach turned and looked at me, and he said, Preacher, pray that it works. Now, it did. We scored, we won. I got a ring for it. All I did was stand on the sideline. But I'll tell you something. It might not have worked if everybody hadn't have done their job. But I'll tell you something. God's way works. You don't have to wonder about it. Do you have to pray about it? You don't have to pray that His plan works, but you have to pray yourself through His plan. You have to keep yourself in His in His footsteps. You have to keep yourself in His presence as you walk through this thing called life. Because let's never forget that God is, is the, He's the author, He is the architect, and He is the anchor of marriage. He's the author. No man can serve two masters, His Word says. He, he, he wrote the manual. Best, best marriage manual you can have is the Word of God. I've got a in my office, I've got one whole bookshelf. Nothing but books on relationship and marriage. Have I read them all? No. They look good on that shelf, though. But I want to tell you something. This book sheds a lot of light on those books. Never get it back. Don't get it backwards. Don't get it reversed. Never try to let one of those books written by man try to shed light on this book. This book is the light. This book is the, is the one that sheds light on any book that man has ever written. Matter of fact, this book will correct man's book. He, he's the architect. He designs the master plan. And so his plan reflects his image. In Genesis, it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Listen, male and female, he created them. We live in a world today that, that has a desperate need for when you and I leave church on Sunday or leave our house on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, or any time we're out. We need a, our culture needs a world that can look at a marriage and say, and that's what God intends. We have a world that's in desperate need of seeing it done the right way. All the while knowing from us that we're not perfect. We mess up. You know, uh, it, I, told, I told the first crowd, when my wife wasn't here, so I'm obligated to tell them with, with her here, is that uh, I, I don't win much. I, I win very few arguments. And it's probably a good thing, you know. As a matter of fact, I'm content, you know, I keep telling myself to be content with losing. Because there are going to be times we differ. There are going to be times... That, that we have arguments. There are times we fight, but we have to fight fair. The Bible says, be angry and sin not, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. I mean, there have been times we've come to that, you know, and I, you know, there have been days I've gone without sleeping. This is going to take a long time, folks, if y'all don't get with it now. Did you get what I'm saying? Do not let the sun go down. Don't go to bed angry, you know. There have been days I've stayed awake for days, you know. You know, because i I got to get to that place to where I, you know. You remember Fonzie? You remember that word he had a hard time with? Sorry. 
You know, guys, gals, we need, we need to learn that word. And we need to be willing to use that word often to say, I'm sorry. You know, there are times I think I just need to get up in the morning and just start off the day by, before I even say, hey, honey, say, I'm sorry, hey, honey. Just not knowing what I might have done. But his plan is to reflect his image. But then also his plan calls for completion. You know, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. God saw it. God saw our need, guys. And it says that he created woman as a helpmeet, as a completion for man. So his plan calls for completion. Writing to the first century church in Corinth, Paul echoed the teachings that are, we, uh, that are in Genesis 2 when he said this, However, in the Lord neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. In other words, we need each other. For God's blueprint to work, we need each other. And as the years go by, we learn to uh, appreciate. My wife and I were in a restaurant the other night, and uh, a young lady came up and said, my, na- I, my name's Tori. Uh, I'll be your server. Uh, what can I get you to drink? And we both order water. Now, I did get lemon. She got lime. And then my wife said, we're ready to order. And so uh, she said, okay, go ahead. You know what you want. And so my wife orders, and I said, yeah, I want the same thing. And she looked at us. She said, how long have y'all been married? We said, almost 45 years. I said, well, that, that figures. It, you know, it just seems like he's, those of you that come in that have been married the longest, you, you, know, you order the same thing. I mean, we're at the place where we complete each other's sentences because we complete one another. I travel a lot. You know, I'm usually not gone more than two nights, but uh, I do not have a good relationship with hotels, even though I have to stay in them, you know, because most of the time in a hotel, I'm sleeping by myself in a bed. She's not next to me. I'm hoping she's as restless as I am. But, you know, we, we, we complete one another. Uh, his plan calls for completion. But let me tell you something. His plan also calls for raising and and and. And, and bringing about the next generation. If, if, God is, if God is so gracious to you as to allow you to bring children into this world, there's a responsibility that comes with that. And it's not for the school to raise them. It's not even for the church to raise them. It's for you to raise them in, in, in Christ and, and point them to the Lord Jesus. We've got three daughters. Uh, one's in San Francisco, uh, uh, her and her husband planted a church there almost 10 years ago. And we've got three grandsons and a granddaughter. Uh, got the granddaughter about four years ago. Brought her home from India. She's adopted. We've got a daughter in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, she's a, a high school teacher, a girls basketball coach. Uh, we've got a daughter just over in Lawrenceville uh, that has uh, three children. They're waiting on adopting. But, but one of the greatest joys in our life, and one of the greatest joys in my life was taking each one of them into the waters of baptism after they professed Christ and baptized them. Another greatest joy was to see them excel in whatever they enjoyed doing. Another joy was to see them graduate from a high school. Another joy was to see them go off to college. Another joy was to stand before them as, as they married their, their spouses and go off and have their own life. And, you know, you know, we don't get to see them as often as we would like. But we realized that our job was not to keep them. 
Our job is to raise them in a godly way and give them to God and then to see them go out and do the same thing. And I want to tell you something. They're doing a they're doing a whole lot better job than I did. I'm you know I was you know my wife did a great job, but I I mean I see my son-in-laws. I'm thinking, hey, they're a far better daddy than I think maybe than I was. But it's our job to 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 include the next generation and to pour into them the things of God. He's the architect and he's the author and he must be the anchor. Because with all of our differences, and we're going to have them, there's one thing we've got to have in common. That's the anchor, the Lord Jesus Christ. So make sure that God is the author and the architect and anchor of your marriage. He is the right master. Secondly, and we'll move on a lot quicker with these next two. When you have the right master, it doesn't ensure, but it sure helps to choose the right mate. Who is the right mate? Simple. The one you're married to. I've had people tell me at times, I think I married the wrong one. Well, the wrong one becomes the right one when you say I do. I mean, it's just as simple, simple as that. That's, uh, that's, God's, that's God's way. And even if you, you know, even if you messed up or even if you, you, you got married before you became a Christian, even if you had a failed marriage, I want you to still know God's for you. God's for you. And if God be for you, who can be uh, uh, against you? And let me say something to those of you that may not be married yet. Those of you, maybe you're dating, maybe you're engaged, maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you're just looking. Guys, don't, don't, don't chase women. Ladies, don't chase men. Chase God. There's something about chasing and pursuing God that you always seem to end up in the right place. When you chase God, our oldest son and son-in-law, uh, after uh, uh, I gave him permission to marry our oldest daughter, and after I put him through that torture, I mean, I, I mean, he was. You know, we talked about this the other day on vacation. I mean, he was asking the most treasured possession that I had in this life was our our our, our daughter. And uh, but when I gave him permission, and he began to make his plans as to how he's going to do it, he he gave our daughter a a, a crystal globe. And it was sitting on a pedestal. On that pedestal it said, Chase God with me around the world. He's in Uganda now. and She's in San Francisco. And, and they're both chasing God. And they'll, they'll end up back in the same place pretty soon. But because they're both on mission for the same master. Chase God. And God will always help you end up uh, in the right place. You see, because in God's eyes, marriage is a permanent Man's the one that uh, has made it disposable. You know, Jesus was asked one time by some of the legalists of his day, well, what about, uh, what about that certificate of divorce that Moses talked about? And Jesus said, God allowed that because of the hardness of man's heart. The hardness of man's heart. Hey guys, let me say something to you. Keep a tender heart. That doesn't sound too masculine, does it? But it is godly. It is biblical. 
have a tender heart. I'll never forget one Sunday I was standing in front as a pastor. The invitation was being given, and, I, and one of my deacons came forward, a man's man, and he was a college basketball coach, and he came and he took my hand. I said, man, what's, what, what's, what's up? He said, Pastor, I want you to pray with me. I said, what we don't pray about? He says, pray that God will give me a tender heart. He's not coaching basketball anymore. He's the associate pastor of that church. God, give me a tender heart. Now, I'm not saying, guys, if you, you know, if, if you ask God to give you a tender heart, he's going to call you into the ministry. You know, I don't know what God's going to do. But I'm going to tell you something. If you ask God to give you a tender heart, God will give you a tender heart. You'll be better for it. Your wife will be better for it. Your children will be better for it. Because you see, God's desire is that he be the anchor of your life. Number three, have the right master. Choose the right mate, which leads to building the right marriage. You see, marriage is a covenant as well as a commitment. And it's more of a covenant than it is a commitment. And, and a, a commitment can be made between two people over something. But a, a, a covenant is a lot weightier. And a covenant requires not only two people, it requires a third party to witness that covenant. And God is the third party in a covenant marriage. The Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Let me tell you a couple of things about that. First of all, guys, no, no, it was a number of years before I noticed this. I think I was even in the pastorate. In, in pastorate years before this actually hit me, it says that husbands are to leave their father's and their mothers. Okay? Guys, we cut that apron string. We leave our mother and father. And we cleave. It doesn't say one thing about her leaving her father and her mother. That just doesn't seem fair, does it? You know? I, you know, but, but we're, to, we're to leave and, 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 and we're to cleave. And, and hey, if, if you end up spending more time with her folks and you do your folks, just, hey, get over it. Deal with it. You know? Because... We're to, we're to leave and we're to cleave and then we're to allow God to do something that no preacher's ever done in his life. I've done a, I don't know how many marriages I've conducted and I've, you know, I've, I've done premarital counseling and I've stood there as, with that groom, you know, and he looked, you know, he, he's the, that's the best he's ever looked in his life. Aaron, that tux, you know, all, that church full and the door's open and there comes daddy and his little girl. They're about to walk down the aisle. I mean, she is... Uh, she is beautiful. And I look over at him. You know, after I've looked at her, I look over at him. And man, he's standing there. And son, I mean, that smile just begins to, to grow. Now, his mind's still on the honeymoon. I just see it. That's a guy. And they get there and they can say the most the beautiful vows. And I do this and I do that. And, and this, that, and the other. And they can light a unity candle and have the best music. And I can say, I now pronounce you man and wife, but I have never taken two and made one. Only God can do that. And God, God does it in principle there at that altar, but He also does it in practice day by day 
by day by day, year by year by year by year, as we submit to His authority and as we submit to Him. So how do you fireproof your marriage? Well, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we proof our marriage? We deal with our selfishness. We deal with our unfaithfulness. We deal with our unkindness. We, we deal with our lack of compassion. We, we deal with our insensitivity. We, we deal with all that stuff that's of the flesh that we nail to the cross on a daily basis. My wife has a plaque that she bought for my benefit. It's under one of our TVs on the bottom shelf. It says, if you can be anything, be kind. And uh, I don't know how many times during a week she'll point that out to me. And I'll walk by, something will happen, and she'll she just don't say a word. She'll just she just point to that sign. You know, you can do, you can be anything. Be kind. I listen. I have to deal with my unkindness. I have to deal with my selfishness on a daily. Listen, being ordained, being a preacher doesn't it doesn't exempt you from your flesh. It's something you have to nail to Calvary on a daily basis. It's something that you have to deal because you see. A marriage is built when two very different individuals lay aside their selfishness. They lay aside their pride. And they yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, four things I want to leave, leave with you as we conclude. Four things that I believe that we need to do on a daily basis. And it has to do with our heart. Here's the first thing I think we need to check your heart. Where has it been? Your heart's been somewhere this week. Where's your heart been? Where is your heart right now? What's going on in there right now? In the, in the very core of your being, you know, that, that your, your mind, will, your emotions, your body, so you feel. Where's your heart right now? Because where your heart has been and where it is right now is going to have a huge effect on where your heart's headed. And is your heart headed for things of God or the things of the world or the things of the flesh? Is, is, is your heart, uh, is it in the right place? So check your heart. And then secondly, guard your heart. Guard your heart. You know, Proverbs 4.23 says, uh, Be diligent. Or watch over your heart. Or guard your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. Guard, guard your heart from anything that would distract, would destroy, would discredit God, your spouse, your family, your family name. Watch over your heart. Then set your heart. You know, we set our GPS, we set our watches. We, uh, 
set our alarms to get us up in the morning. We, a lot of things that we, 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 we set. We, we, in a moment, we're going to go get in our vehicles and we're going to set it in a certain direction, more than likely to where there's food. You know? but, but diligently and on purpose, set your heart in the right direction. Set it toward the things of, of God. And uh, in, in, in Psalm 119, verse 9 and 11, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And then finally, invest your heart. Invest your heart. We know, what, we know about investments. Invest your heart. Invest your heart in your spouse. Invest your heart in your family. Invest your heart in the things of, of God. Because you see, the, 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 the whole key here is making sure you lead your heart in the right direction. And you lead your heart by what you feed it. And I encourage you to feed it on a diet of God's Word. Not only do we lead our heart by what we feed it, we lead our heart by where we seed it. I got some. I got some bare patches in my yard that I'm trying to grow grass. And, uh, you know, you can find a YouTube video for anything now. You know, I mean, you don't even have to be expert. You know, you know, you can watch a YouTube video and it'll show you how to grow grass. Now, that don't mean you're going to grow it like me because I ain't growing it. I still got bare patches. I'm trying all kind of seed, all kind of methods. And, and uh, I've always watched people put hay over where they've, I'm allergic to hay. But uh, I've watched people put hay. And I asked somebody the other day, you know, and they really couldn't tell me about it, but they said, listen, I put hay in my yard over where I sowed grass. I got grass. And you didn't put hay over where you planted grass in your yard, and you ain't got grass. And so, I, I, you know, I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm going to go get me some hay. And I hope to get some grass by putting that hay over where I've, dug and planted and watered for whatever reason the hay's for. Apparently it works. God's Word works. Feed your heart on the Word of God. Seed your heart in the soil of, of the things of God. And then make sure your heart is deeded in the right place. You know what a deed is. It's a legal document. When a man or a woman or a boy or a girl comes to the end of themselves, realizing that God was right when he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When a man or a woman or a boy or girl realizes that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. When a man, woman, boy or girl realizes that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth man confesses, resulting in salvation. And that man, woman, boy or girl bends the knee at Calvary and enters into a transaction with a holy God, God moves in. And that life is under new ownership. If there was a plaque over your life today, who would be the proprietor? Who would be the owner? You are a holy God that's promised. He's for you. And if he's for you, nobody, nobody, nobody can be against you. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Our music musicians are going to come and 
going to lead us uh, in a closing song. And uh, I don't know what decision you need to make today as you go out. I don't know what you need to write on your connection card that you were given. But if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, there are people that will just be exuberant. They will be ecstatic on this staff to talk with you about entering into that transaction where eternal life becomes yours. Maybe you don't have a church home and you want to talk with someone about next steps. You record that on that card. Perhaps you are in a place in your marriage where you, you want it to be better. You, right now, right where you are, grab that spouse and say, make a recommitment of your life right now to your marriage to do it God's way. Maybe everything's just hunky-dory. Maybe things are going well and you've been married for years and you don't know that it can, you don't even think it can get better. It can. It can. As we go out of here today, God's looking for marriages that will point to Him. And say, He's the reason. He's the reason. That even in our imperfection, even with our sins, even with our warts, even with our selfishness and our pride, He's the reason that it works. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your grace. We pray in your name. Amen.